My name is Josh Watson. I'm the adult education pastor here at Whitestone. And as many of you know, who have been attending recently, pretty much since the beginning of the year, we've been going through a series on prayer, uh, communicating with God. This morning, though, we're going to take a small break from that series. And instead, we're going to look at an entire book of the Bible, or start to look at an entire book of the Bible, a book where Someone is in the spirit and Jesus is speaking directly to that person. So it's actually very similar to prayer. And in this book, Jesus reveals many things to the apostle John. Many things about the future in detail. Sounds interesting, right? Well, it's funny because most Christians actually completely avoid the book. The book of Revelation. We never open it, a lot of us. Um, And I think there are a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because we think, oh man, no, that book is just too controversial. Too many different views on that book. I don't want to get into a debate. I mean, there's different opinions on, people disagree on how many views there are or what they're all called. Um, So, you know, best to just leave it alone. That way no one gets worked up, no one gets upset because the book is kept safely closed. Another big reason that people avoid the book of Revelation is because you know, we'll say that it's, it's just too mysterious, it's too confusing. There's no way that anyone could understand what that stuff is talking about. I mean, you got a, a dragon with seven heads and 10 horns. You have angels pouring out all these bowls on the earth. You've got horses with that are different colors. You have someone that's eating a book. You have a woman that's clothed with a sun. I mean, come on. Do we really think we know what all this is talking about? And so we we just assume that it's impossible to understand what's in this book. And, And we go with that. We say it's impossible to understand. And anyone who says that they can understand it, they're either lying or they're a little weird and that's why they can understand better to stay away from them. Or here's another major reason. Um, A lot of people say, well, you know what? What difference does it make? I mean, it's talking about the end times, right? So that means it doesn't have any bearing on my life right now. It's not for me today. It doesn't apply to me today. It's in the future. It's not, you know, it doesn't have any bearing on my life right now. And so that means we're just wasting our time trying to figure out what it's all about. Whatever happens, happens. And God is in control of it all. I don't need to worry about it, right? But that pretty much sums up what most people think or how they view the book of Revelation and why no one touches it. It's too controversial. It's too mysterious or confusing. And they say it's not relevant. But the truth is, it's an entire book in the Bible. An entire book. And it's an entire book in the New Testament, which is written directly to the church, to us. And not only that, but it's the last thing written, the last book, the last thing that God writes to us before the Bible is closed, which you would think is, that makes it important just for that reason alone. But when most, I think a lot of times when Christians read through the New Testament, They'll read from Matthew to Jude and then start over again. 
especially if you're really trying to get through the whole New Testament in a year's time, that's your goal, and you get to December, you think, yeah, nobody really reads Revelation anyway. I did it, made it through the whole thing. But God put this book in his word for a reason, and that's for us to read it. And there are actually many benefits when you do. First, the book of Revelation informs us of what is going to take place in the future. So we don't have to be clueless. We don't have to just guess. We can know many things with certainty about what is to come. Second, it encourages us because we learn that evil will be punished one day. And, that, and we can learn from this book also details about our eternal home in the new Jerusalem, in the presence of God, when all suffering is gone. And third, it motivates us because we read about these rewards and these crowns that we will receive that Jesus himself will give to those who are faithful. So it informs us, it encourages us, and it motivates us. Our mind, our emotions, and our will. And to be honest, one of the biggest reasons that we as Christians a lot of times have such a hard time understanding what's in the book of Revelation, as you can see from these slides, is because it has over 500 references to the Old Testament. Over five, I mean, did you know that? Over 500 times you read something in Revelation that makes much more sense if you're at least familiar with the Old Testament. So if you completely ignore the Old Testament altogether, then yes, it will be hard to enjoy and to be fascinated by what you come across when you read the book of Revelation. Now, I will say I personally believe that the book of Revelation is talking about literal future events and that all the symbolism that you come across in the book is describing something real. It's similar, I think, to, you know, things like when in the Bible it talks about the bride of Christ. I mean, that perfectly describes our relationship with Christ. We are in a relationship with Christ. We are committed to him. He's committed to us in this relationship and we've been joined to him spiritually, and we are inseparable for all eternity. We are one, great symbol. Or when you think about that we are called the body of Christ, that shows exactly how we are all connected to Christ with him as our head, and we're connected to each other as a body, and that we are literally his eyes and his hands and his feet and his heart here on this earth. It's all symbolism, but it's very real. It's describing something very real. So I want to share with you this morning some of the main themes of the book of Revelation and hopefully several different ways that this book can be applied. Which, yes, again, it may shock you, but this book has application for our life even today, even right now. And a lot of blessing. I don't know if you knew this, but Revelation is the only book that specifically mentions a blessing for the person who reads and applies it. And it mentions it twice, says it twice. In Revelation 1.3, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. And then again, 
later in the book, Revelation 22, seven, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's crazy because this is the one book where people say, uh, how is reading that book gonna help me in any way? And yet here we have Jesus saying twice, very specifically, read this book, apply it. God will bless you if you do. Also, if you look at the very first words of the book, very first words, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why this book was written, to reveal, to reveal the truth about the church and about things to come in the future. Not hide it. It's called revelation, reveal. It's the opposite of hiding. Yes, the book has a lot of symbolism, a lot of imagery, but that's, I believe, in order to communicate a message from the first century that all the centuries afterward would be able to understand. Symbolism is kind of a common language that we have that spans across time. I mean, imagine if you had to write a book about life today that would be understandable to someone in the first century. It'd be hard. Before coming to Wisconsin, I was a missionary in India for seven years, and I once tried to explain Six Flags Magic Mountain to a bunch of village children. And it was hard. It was really hard. Um, they were asking questions like, sir, why, what do you mean we can ride a rickshaw up in the sky? And why would people want to be tied down and spun around so much they would get sick? And wait, what? It costs how many rupees? So it was, it was hard and I had to try to be creative. And I... And I think that's one reason for all the symbols and the images in Revelation, because we're talking about events that are still future, but yet were written 2,000 years in the past. All right, so let me try and give some of the main points or the main themes of the book and suggest some applications. And I've broken it down into seven different parts, seven major themes. First, Theme, the first, the book of Revelation really focuses on the person of Jesus. Focuses on the person of Jesus. There are at least 20 names given for Jesus in the book of Revelation. And the very first words, again, the very first words of the book are the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ and his plans for the future. And specifically in Revelation 1, the apostle John describes this vision he has of Christ. And there is nowhere in scripture that you have such a detailed description of Jesus. John says that Jesus has a powerful voice like a trumpet. He's dressed as a high priest. His hair reflects infinite wisdom. His eyes and feet indicate he's a righteous judge. He stands in the midst of the churches and he holds the messengers of the churches in his hand. So he's powerful. He intercedes for us. He's infinitely wise. He judges righteously. He's watching over all the churches and he gives authority to the messengers, his messengers of those churches. This is the way that Jesus 
wants us to see him, to view him, to picture him. That's why this is given here in Revelation 1. But the thing is, we often are tempted to view Jesus differently than this. In many ways, we can come up with our own pictures of Jesus. But I think one way that we very commonly have a view of Jesus that doesn't fit this is that we focus only on the lamb aspect of Christ. So we love to talk about how Jesus died to save us and that he's humble and forgiving and patient and full of mercy, which is all true, which is all awesome and amazing. And there's literally nothing better you could talk about. But we can't forget that he is also a lion and a king. He is eternal He is all powerful. He is the king of a billion galaxies. He is the creator of all that exists. He is worthy of our highest respect and our most sincere and passionate worship all the time. He is the judge of all mankind. And this is the description of Jesus here in the book of Revelation. Not just chapter one, but the whole book. Throughout the book, Jesus is the one who controls all future events. He's the one who rewards or punishes the church. He's the one who's being worshiped by the saints in heaven. He's the one bringing judgment on the earth. He's the one seated on the great white throne. He's the one who's the center of attention on the new earth, ruling as king forever. Is this how you view Jesus? Is this how you picture him? Because this is how he wants us to see him. This is how he wants us to think of him. It's who he is. He is a lion first and also the lamb of God. The next thing that the book of Revelation really focuses on is the church. In chapters two and three of Revelation, Jesus, he dictates to John exactly what he should write to seven different churches. And as we already mentioned, these are seven churches that existed in the first century at that time that this was being written. But those seven churches represent what you will still find in churches today. The negatives still exist, so also do the positives. And Jesus is interested in what is taking place in every single church. In fact, Jesus starts off each one of these seven letters to the churches. Each one he starts off the same way. I know. I know what's going on in your church because I'm watching. I'm interested. I'm standing in your midst and I'm perfectly aware of everything. To all seven churches, that's how he starts. I know. I know what's happening when you all come together. First, there is Ephesus. This is the church that Jesus said lost its first love. It was well, actually well known for its love at first. In fact, they were commended for their love in the book of Ephesians. But by the time John wrote this book de- decades later, that love had kind of started to fade and disappear. Second is Smyrna, the church that was persecuted. And this church actually was very strong. They had very committed disciples. You can probably guess why, because when there's persecution, fake Christians run away. Persecution weeds them out. And so the church in Smyrna was learning how to persevere. Third is Pergamum, the church that allowed false teaching. 
Some people in their church began teaching, it's okay to sin with your body because that won't affect you spiritually. Those two are separate. So that's what was being taught at that time. And no one was confronting this teaching. No one was calling it out. And no one really seemed even to care much. Fourth is Thyatira, the church that allowed immorality and idolatry. They were being misled by a woman called Jezebel and they were getting involved in sexual immorality and even fooling around with idolatry. And God, even though he was giving them opportunity to repent, they weren't taking it. They weren't repenting. Fifth is Sardis, the church in Sardis. And this is a church that was basically dead. I mean, they had the appearance, they had a reputation of being full of life. But Jesus says that inwardly it was dead. They were doing nothing by the power of his spirit. God's spirit wasn't leading them. It was all basically an outward show. Sixth, you have Philadelphia. And this is the church that was faithful. Jesus had nothing negative to say about this church. They were faithful to him. And so Jesus promised to them an open door as they served him, that they would receive a crown in heaven and that they would have a special place as a pillar in his temple. And then lastly, the church in Laodicea. And this was the church that was lukewarm. Jesus, on the other hand, had nothing good to say about this church. He wanted to spit them out. They were hypocrites and they had no idea how bad off they really were. So these are the seven churches then and even now. You find these are, this is what's true of many churches around the world even today. Churches whose love is fading, churches who are persecuted, others that allow false teaching or allow immorality, some that are spiritually dead, others that are truly faithful to God, and then many that are lukewarm or even hypocritical. But when you look at these descriptions, it should make us, okay, start to think and wonder, all right, well, where's Whitestone in all this? How would, how would we be described? How would G, what would Jesus say about us? How would he describe the church in Oconomowoc? which really when you think about it is just as strange a name as all the other cities in this. <laughs> Smyrna, Laodicea, Akanamawak. <laughs> but I do believe that the leadership here is asking itself this, this question, what is Jesus saying to us? But at the same time, a church is made up of its people, right? You and me. And so I think the best thing that we can do and apply from this is that we can evaluate ourselves make any changes that we need to, let God make those changes in us, and then we will become the church that we should be. If the parts are good, the whole thing is good. So maybe ask yourself, here's a quick evaluation based on these, what's said to these churches. Number one, do I genuinely love people with action, acts of love, not just words? And do I love people in my thoughts? where no one else can see, because that's where love is the most sincere. Second, am I bold? Or do I stay quiet about my beliefs? 
You know, what if I was verbally or even physically threatened? What then? You know, if we are never ever in an uncomfortable situation because we're a Christian, that might tell us that we're always quiet about our beliefs. Number three, am I deceived? How well do you know God's word and what it teaches? I mean, if you were to take, let's say, a test with 30 essay questions on what the teaching of the Bible is, would you get a perfect score? Because the thing is, if you don't know God's word well, you won't even notice when there's false teaching. You won't even recognize it. No one knows when they're being deceived. Where are you, number four, with immorality? How often are you entertained by things that are immoral or impure? Or how much do you think about or picture yourself in situations that are immoral? Because it all starts with our thoughts. Number five, are you alive or dead? How often do you ask God to lead you? How often do you ask his spirit for wisdom or spend time in prayer, just laying everything at his feet? Someone who does these things is spiritually alive. Six, are you faithful to God? Are you always the same no matter who you're with? Would you be described as someone with integrity? Do you identify with Christ every chance you get? Do you, do you think, okay, what can I do for God next? That's someone who's faithful. And then seventh, are you lukewarm? Do you, ha- do you come here maybe to Whitestone and have one foot here, but at the same time, you're always trying to enjoy as much of the world as you possibly can. You know, what if a camera crew followed you around last week? Would that person and the person sitting here worshiping this morning look the same? But that's just a quick evaluation. And I think if we all ask questions like this and evaluate ourselves regularly and kept doing better, Whitestone would become Philadelphia as described in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, Jesus would say to us, I know your works and I have set before you an open door that no one is able to shut. And the third theme that you come across in the book of Revelation is heaven and God's throne. John is called up to heaven and there he witnesses and experiences what heaven is truly like. And for those who believe that the church is taken to heaven before the tribulation period, then this is when that event would take place. John is called up to heaven at the beginning of chapter four and at the end of the church era in chapters two and three, representing the church going up to heaven. And that's, then you can see when the tribulation period on earth begins. You can see that in the simple timeline there. And right away, as soon as Jesus, John gets to heaven, all his attention is on God's throne. God is the, fo- the focus. His throne captivates everyone who is there. Its glory and its majesty just utterly overwhelms everyone. All of heaven. In other words, it's not like all these stories you hear of people who say they've gone to heaven and come back And they'll tell you that, you know what? What really amazed them was all the detail on the architecture of the gates 
or the millions of butterflies. Man, that's what made heaven amazing. It was all these beautiful butterflies or all the houses with pretty colors or what the one thing they remember was how there's so many different fun things to do, activities, or how their sister was so lonely until they finally got there or that they took a selfie with Jesus. These are all actual accounts, every single one of them. This is what apparently really stood out and what they remember from the people who claim to have gone and come back. However, when you read the Bible and you read about the accounts of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Stephen and now John, when they get a glimpse of heaven, it's completely different. What they remember is God on his throne. That's where their attention is. That's what they remember. And that's exactly what you read in Revelation 4 here. God's throne is the focus. It's full of brilliant colors. It's surrounded by 24 elders. There's lightning and thunder coming out of this throne. There's a sea of glass in front of it. Four living creatures are crying out, holy, 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 and everyone is just falling down to worship God. God's throne will captivate everyone. It will be awesome. And then in Revelation 5, the Lamb of God comes forward. He steps forward, Jesus Christ. And he is declared loudly to be the only one worthy in all the universe to take the scroll that is in the Father's hand. No one else is worthy except Jesus Christ alone. From all of history, from all of heaven, from all of earth, from all of the universe, only Jesus is worthy. And so Jesus takes this scroll from the Father and as soon as he does, everyone breaks out into this singing a new song to Jesus. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, all the angels, all the saints in heaven and the rest of creation, heaven, earth, everywhere, all together sing this song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And so in Revelation four and five, the focus is God on his throne with infinite power and glory. And Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy in all the universe. And I think this tells us something. I think what we can, one thing we can draw is it tells us a lot about what we should be focusing on. Here on this earth, we tend to easily get distracted and start to focus on things like our job or on sports or even on our family or on a accomplishing something specific. And all these things, they can bring a brief moment of satisfaction, but only God can satisfy you constantly. Only God can satisfy your soul, the real you, the you on the inside. The idea that anyone could ever be bored with God is a ridiculous lie of Satan. The people who focus on God the most 
are the most satisfied, most fulfilled, most joyful people you will ever meet. And this is true on earth, and it's still true in heaven. Nothing changes. And so no one gets to heaven and thinks, I knew it. These butterflies really do make heaven amazing. And boy, I'm so glad my mom is already here because otherwise I'd be so lonely. No, I mean, no one immediately gets to heaven and wonders, okay, where's all the fun activities that I heard about? That's an earthly view of heaven. We take some things and then we project it up. Being in God's presence, seeing his glory, worshiping Christ with millions of other believers, praising the one who died for you and brought you to that place, that's heaven. And I think to some degree we will all realize how much time we wasted thinking that focusing on something else could be better rather than focusing on God. Yes, I'm sure all the, I, I know, all the other aspects of heaven will be great. I'm sure God has a lot in store for us to experience there. Just like there's a lot here on this earth that he blesses us with, that we get to enjoy. But compared to being in God's presence, compared to seeing him for our, with our own eyes, I mean, nothing compares to that. That's what makes life fulfilling, truly. Seeing him here on this earth, even in heaven. So I would encourage you, don't completely avoid the book of Revelation. It's not too controversial, not too mysterious, and it is relevant to your life. And we have a class on the book on our website, if you want. It's called Apocalypse. They can go through it. Hopefully it'll help. But the important thing is, is that God put the book of Revelation in the Bible for a reason. To inform us intellectually, to encourage us spiritually, and to motivate us to live for Christ. And to make us a church that one day he will describe as faithful. So Jesus, the church, and God's throne in heaven. The first three themes of the book of Revelation. Next week, we'll cover the, the last four. Let's pray. Almighty, infinite, all-powerful, holy God, how awesome it will be when one day we can join the saints that have gone before us, we can truly experience life to the absolute fullest. When joy completely fills us, wonder and amazement and thrill at being in your presence. Lord, you are the only one who can satisfy us, who can deeply, inwardly satisfy what we crave. That's the way you created us. Help us, Lord, to focus on you. Help us to see that this is true and that we can only find this abundant life by keeping our focus on you as we go through our day. Lord, we thank you for this book and what you have revealed to us through it. And I pray that you would continue to reveal through it to us. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, amen. Have a wonderful week.